welcome again to the Modern Times Podcast, Political Profundity with John Guzan and Karen Weil. Hello, Karen. Hi, John. Uh, some crazy things going on since the last two weeks when we did our podcast. Uh, Washington seems to be on fire almost. Uh, constitutional crisis being thrown around a lot. Um, a lot going on with impeachment, possibly. Um, our big topics today are going to be whether Mueller will testify. Also talk about where impeachment stands in the Pelosi, Trump, and Brolio. We're going to be talking about that as one group. Um, we're going to be talking about what's going on with the DOJ a little bit, the Department of Justice. Um, there's there's lawsuits. There's uh, new opinions coming out that seem to challenge uh, long-held uh, beliefs on what is happening. Um, and we're also going to be talking a little bit about the Julian Assange case and what that means to the freedom of the press. Um, have some uh, brief discussions about um, the Middle East and Iran and also what's been going on in the UK with Theresa May and Brexit. Um, but let's jump right into um, this crazy week that we had, um, with, especially this this past week. Um, the, the infrastructure meeting that that di- that didn't happen, the impromptu planned slash um, attack from Trump on uh, Nancy Pelosi because of the cover-up comment, which really comes from other things. Well, who knows? We're going to talk about that. But Karen, your first reactions to this crazy week uh, and impeachment? Well, it, it was... Interesting last night to hear the House Judiciary Committee Chairman Gerald Nadler, the Democratic rep from New York, say that, and he made this announcement on the Rachel Maddow show, that Mueller was willing to testify, but he wanted to do it in private. And he would make an opening statement. The entire uh, private testimony would be in a transcript available to the public. Nadler, who has been, you know, like Pelosi and other Democrats, sort of, you know, having a little bit of a battle within their caucuses and within the House in general about how impeachment would proceed. Uh, He's been very careful, I think, in how he's handled the matter, because I I suspect they do not want Mueller to feel if things are going to be a media circus, he doesn't want to be a part of it. We we know all about the, uh, you know, who Robert Mueller is in a lot of ways. He's somebody who really doesn't like a lot of publicity. He certainly doesn't want to be involved in uh, a hearing like some of the one we've seen with Peter Strzok and others who've testified regarding possible collusion with with the Trump campaign in Russia and how out of bounds those got. Uh, so it's understandable to some degree Mueller doesn't want to take place in such a such a spectacle. Right. Um, and but it is encouraging that he is willing to, on some level, you know, he's going to testify albeit it just will not be live and televised. Now, right now we've seen that support for impeachment is about, according to a last poll I saw, and it might have been, it was a legitimate agency that did it, around 45%. Um, so there, there's definitely growing support for it. Uh, but I think obviously we have, what, 3% of Americans who've read the Mueller report, and it's mm-hmm. a 400-plus page document. Right. Of course it's going to be complicated. Of course it's going to have to carefully detail how all of this came about and why we're stuck with this monster in the White House now, you know, in the way we are. Uh-huh. Um, and, of course, we, we don't know the, the unredacted version because, you know, Barr, his, his attorney general, as far as I'm concerned, William Barr is not, you know, the attorney general for the nation. He's Trump's attorney, more or less, will not let that report out, which I, I would always ask to Trump or his supporters, if you've got nothing to hide, why not let the whole thing be available? Right. For some reason, they can never answer that question. I wonder why. Um, So, you know, there's not a date set for this, to the best of my knowledge. Uh, It's going to be fascinating when it finally does happen. I I think it will. Um, No doubt there may be more conditions involved in it from Mueller's team. Um, But I do think if it's not going to be televised publicly, that just a lot of Americans will still not know what's going on. And, and, and you know, I, I, there's who's mm-hmm. to say that this document or the transcript of his testimony would be out to the public within a day or so. When you have live televised hearings, that's what gets people interested. Let's remember 43, 44 years ago, no, actually about 45 uh, or more, you had most of the public was not in favor of impeaching Richard Nixon until the hearing started. Then those numbers started shifting dramatically. I would say it's interesting that impeachment numbers now 
are still pretty high given everything. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just because most people look at Trump and they see a horribly corrupt and dishonest individual. So they're not, you know, they're not surprised that he's in this kind of trouble. Um, so do you think that do you think that it uh, moves the needle if 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 Mueller testifies and and how much more so if it's public? I, I think it definitely Live. moves the needle. And if I think Mueller testifies and lays out a you know a credible you know set of allegations against Donald Trump and and his campaign and others maybe in his administration, that's going to call that's I think only going to result in a higher percentage of Americans supporting in the impeachment process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but again, I, I think just again, John, it's interesting to me that it's all, it's nearly 50% and that's still incredible. And this goes back just to the bigger problem Trump has had since day one. Most of this country doesn't trust him. They don't like him. They don't believe a word that he says. So he, he you know, I, I'll, I'll skip back to something else for a moment. I think, you're starting to see more Democrats in Congress move away from this 1998 narrative about the impeachment of President Bill Clinton, that somehow they think this is going to hurt Democrats and make Trump more popular. They're forgetting, you know, mainly two things here. You know, Donald Trump is not Bill Clinton, number one. He, Bill Clinton, whether you liked him or not, was a genuinely popular, competent president. Yes, yeah, and, yeah, and he, had high, no, he had high approval ratings even before he, impeachment started. Yes. Number two, this myth that somehow the Republicans paid some major price for impeachment. No, they didn't. They ended up winning back the White House in 2000. Now, yes, we know the Supreme Court, et cetera, so forth. I don't need to say anything more about that. We all know what happened. But George W. Bush still did. I mean, he lost the popular vote by, by half a million votes, but he still did pretty well all in all. And, I, you know, who knows who's to say he might have prevailed even without the Supreme Court decision in 2000. But nevertheless, they won the White House back, they kept the House, and they ended up taking back the Senate. So this this idea that they're all the Republicans paid this terrible price for going after the president, no, they didn't at all. And uh, frankly, when you look at numbers and percentages in polls among Democratic voters, the, those numbers are very high for impeachment. This is not going to hurt uh, the Democrats in Congress at all with their constituents. Hmm. Maybe a few percentage of independents, and look, no Republicans were going to vote for them anyway. Right. So, I, I, and I think what you're also starting to see here, along with Mueller wanting to testify now, is that there the dynamics are in place, from what I can see, just for the impeachment process to start. And, and a year ago, you had, interestingly enough, Rick Wilson, who's a, you know, a GOP strategist, although I guess he's not really a Republican anymore, saying... Trump would never get impeached or this will never happen to now. It's certainly possible. And we should mention Justin Amash, the Republican representative from the Grand Rapids area of Michigan. If anybody had been following Twitter this weekend, you saw his series of tweets basically saying it's time to impeach this guy. Right. And of course, not surprisingly, his own, you know, his fellow Republicans have turned on him. Trump is you know, been spewing uh, vitriol against him, and now he may have a primary challenger. But, you know, given for Amash to do this, that's a pretty big deal. Um, I just think for now, Mueller, and I understand his reluctance to not want this to become a media circus, but I'd like to tell him that train has sailed already, and that's not his fault. He, although many have questioned why he did not have a stronger case to hold Trump accountable than what he, he did, which was basically it's up to Congress. Although, you know, of course, just to remind people, he did not exonerate Trump at all. Um, but I will say if he declines to testify, then he, he failed in doing his duties. And mm -hmm. I, I really refuse to believe that Robert Mueller would do that, yeah. that he does understand what's at stake. But like anyone in this extraordinary position, I can't even imagine what's going on in his mind right mm -hmm, now. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we'll just, we'll have to see when this finally does occur. Um, yeah. And, and, I would you know, prefer I mean, that it should be in public. But yeah. again, you know, ultimately the Congress can only work with him so much on that. Yeah. And, I, you know, I'm completely with you on 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 the importance, of, I think, of, of 
public hearings. I I just don't um, know necessarily whether whether it's Mueller's role. And, you know, some of the things that I've kind of feeling about this is, you know, obviously you need Mueller to kind of come there and he'll be able to tell us um, whatever he wants and, and just for the grandstanding to not happen. But it does seem like, um, and, and from what I, you know, the feeling um, that I've gotten and from some of the other information is that if you bring Mueller in um, and you allow him to go, you know, behind closed doors with a public transcript, that gives you the beginning. But then the the other witnesses that you need to bring, those will be the same sort of reaction that came um, through the Nixon hearings um, where you then have the actual people who are telling you things because, you know, it's going to be, you know, whatever Mueller is going to opine on additionally to what's in the report. Um, that would just be his opinion. And I think those those witnesses being there publicly, uh, Hope Hicks, Don McGahn, um, whomever else they might want to call, those being public, I think, are ne- are necessary in order to really get the word out and for people to understand what's going on, because they're also going to be um, folks that um, the Republican attack dogs, which is what I think Mueller is really trying to avoid, because um, we all know he's really a Republican, and for him to be attacked um, for doing basically his job, and people have called him, um, you know, out for 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 being out to get the president. When we know that that's probably not the case, he's trying to lay out a real argument and be the patriot that that we all hope that we can be um, if we were put in the same situation. So that's where I really see the importance of public hearings. Um, you know, whether Mueller comes out or not, and, and it's, it's, it would just be a circus. It might be more of a wash um, because I don't, uh, you know, publicly because those people would play those games. It might actually be a benefit. Um, and so I'm fine with that as long as some of those, and that, you know, again, my personal opinion, as long as the witnesses who need to come in that were cited in the report that they want to get that testimony from, those need to be public for our country and and really for this case to get out within the public sphere, um, that needs to be seen. What Mueller does, I think, is going to be um, immaterial to really making that case down the line. And, you know, but, but, but again, you know, one person's view is just one person's view, but it seems to me that's where we need to take it is uh, public hearings for witnesses beyond the investigator. Right. Couldn't agree more. That that has to happen as well. Um, uh, so, and, and as we know, you know, it's interesting. Representative Jamie Raskin, a, a Maryland Democrat and a member of the House Judiciary Committee, is quoted in Politico, you know, saying Attorney General Barr did a very effective number on our country in terms of sort of forcing, you know, the Democrats into these technical battles over access to Mueller. Um, and, and basically kind of not that sort of has limited their time to speak directly to Americans about how terrible Trump's conduct is and the fact that there's overwhelming evidence that he obstructed justice in terms of the Mueller report on numerous occasions. Um, and, you know, I, I knew when the, when the report first came out or Barr's, you know, bullshit version of it in March, I thought, you know, this is not going to solve things for Trump at all. Because eventually this report is going to be out. And one way or another, eventually the whole thing is going to come out. Uh, I guess what's the hope of the Trump people and of Barr, maybe they, that, that they can stall this after 2020, which there's no guarantee Trump is going to win re-election, much less even be in office by then. Um, you know, he's, he survived as long as he has because the GOP would do nothing about him. And in November of last year, enough voters said, we're tired of this. We're going to put Democrats in Congress. We want this guy held accountable. So, you know, that was that was one way to sort of solve this. But it looks like little by little, I think the Democrats are starting to find their footing and maybe have getting a better handle on the post Mueller strategy in terms of how they deal with both his testimony, getting witnesses and just communicating better to the public about the corruption within, you know, Donald Trump's administration and, right. and within him. Uh, and, you know, this is not this whole thing is going to be very messy one way or the other. I mean, we forget the impeachment in- process for Bill Clinton. It happened, but it certainly had its share of fireworks and other drama before, uh, you know, 
during the impeachment process in the House and then when Clinton was eventually acquitted in the Senate in February of 1999. So, you know, this is just this is just starting. Mm-hmm. And we don't mm-hmm. know where it's all really going to go. Right. I wish somebody had a crystal ball to tell me. Um, you know, one way or the other, you know, Trump thinks he's controlling their narrative on this. But really, if you're based on if you look at current approval ratings and the fact that a lot of the public doesn't believe him, he's not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's just louder and more obnoxious <laughs> and knows how to get the mainstream media to go along with that. But that doesn't mean it's winning any real He's winning over much of the American public because yeah, yeah, he's that not really, seems to be failing. Yeah, he's not grabbing many hearts and minds for sure. I, you know, uh, if no. anything, he's bleeding some. Um, you know, I just kind of want to, you know, give my opinion on. You know, I, I, I really think it's funny how um, the whole talk of impeachment and uh, what's going on in the Democratic caucus, um, what Pelosi. Um, is doing or not, or holding back um, folks, and that the whole caucus wants to impeach, and she's holding them back. I, I you know, I just don't see it like that. I, I, I really think that one of the things that I think is is so credible about the Democrats in Congress and about Pelosi specifically is that I think that they're able to do the job properly and even keep their 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 mouths closed when needed and the way it seems to me is that they're moving you know you know we've had this discussion on this podcast before and you know whether uh you know i i always kind of feel like you know you have to take your best swing at impeachment because you get one swing and that was one of my arguments i was making the last time we talked um and it does seem like they're on the same page and that impeachment has been going on and that's one of the things that i think Pelosi has been talking to her caucus about is that we're doing and laying the groundwork for whatever might be there. And, you know, whether whether she's rooting for impeachment or not, I wouldn't want to speculate on. But um, it does seem like they know that they're going down that road and everywhere, everything, all these investigations, they're all going there in order for them to have greater evidence and more of validity. Because, you know, the first thing that the Republicans would be saying at this point, if they just did it before the investigations go, then the first thing they say is, well, there's nothing there. And so I, it really needs to be built up. And I really think it has been. I think that the the job that they've been doing is to, you know, to take the highest roads possible on impeachment, um, doing the work. Um, as we know, everybody says there's not they're not doing the business of the people. That's all coming from the right. There's been more than 200 bills passed. Um, most of them have died on McConnell's desk. He's not letting them go to the Senate. They're not even going into committee or conference to, to kind of work these things out. They're just dying except for, you know, a little bit less than 20 that had to be passed that everyone really wanted. Those are the only ones that he's let through. Um, and so it really is clear that they're taking the high road here and, that only helps your case when you get to impeachment. And, you know, for as fast as, as some people would like it, including me, who, who does think that there's obstruction here and that, it, you know, it, it reaches a certain level. We know that if that's going to be the case, I think you want to accomplish that actual conviction on impeachment. And in order to get there, more work has to be done. And there needs to be more people like Amash come across the aisle and in and you know there was an article that you wrote for modern times about um you know what the american constitution society says and it does seem like you know you need to have uh, more information we need to let trump keep going along the way that he is not actually even doing the role of the president that because that becomes another element that could 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 build in his impeachment since he's saying i'm not working on anything until you drop um these investigations which basically means you know, give up your role because I just want you to pass things. I mean, which is, is, is almost untenable. It's one of those proposals that has no chance of ever going through anywhere. Um, and it shouldn't. Um, but it does seem like this deliberate, um, uh, methodical step-by-step um, um, is working. And it's not that it's, and, and not that it's just working is that there's some people, you know, you know, Pelosi hasn't said, don't say that you believe in it. And if you do, then you do. But it, it does seem obvious that there's more people that want to keep building evidence on this road um, than want to take that jump right now. And that's not necessarily a bad thing if what your um, overarching goal here is to have a successful impeachment conviction. What do you see? Right. <clears throat> well, you, you said a mouthful. I, 
Yeah, way okay. too much as usual. Sorry about that, Karen. No, it's okay. I we I have said this all along since Trump slimed his way into, you know, the national consciousness in the way that he did four years ago. And when he, quote unquote, won the Electoral College, you know, our institutions were not prepared to deal with somebody this rancid. They just weren't. We've never had anybody in the Oval Office this lawless, reckless, dishonest, just who simply shits on the Constitution, which is what he's trying to do now. Who has no regard for norms, no regard for decency, no regard for tradition or anything else. And, you know, this is why and, – and people had hoped that the courts would be enough of, of a firewall. Well, some of them have been, but you have a Supreme Court with two judges that he placed on there, one of whom was – extraordinarily controversial and probably shouldn't be on there at all, that being Brett Kavanaugh, never mind that Neil Gorsuch is in Merrick Garland's stolen seat. But, I, you know, people cannot depend, even though John Roberts seems like he might be a bit of a swing vote, uh, no guarantee there either. But people can't depend on the Supreme Court to do the right thing it did back in 1974 with the Nixon tapes, um, which led to Richard Nixon resigning. So... You know, it's, it's basically up to America. It, it, here's my point. It's up to Americans themselves to be on their phone, on the phone every week with their representative, Republican and Democrat. And I realize Republicans, most of them are terrified of their base and of Trump. They're not going to do anything. There aren't good and decent. There aren't a lot of good and decent people like Justin Amash in that group. OK, but the more pressure that both parties feel, especially with Democrats, and no doubt, I suspect more of them are getting a lot of calls from constituents to go for, forward with impeachment hearings, the closer, you know, the, the more of a reality that becomes. Um, there was a, a representative, her name is, is I think, uh, Katie Porter. She's in a kind of a swing district. She's a Democrat who said now the calls for impeachment from her constituents have grown dramatically. I don't think that's any accident. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, for all the machinations that, that Trump and his cronies are doing here, you know, it, it, it's pretty transparent to most people why they're doing this. It right. has, it's not because they give a damn about uh, the long-term effects on the rule of law. It's because this is all about saving Trump's very fat rear end. Mm -hmm. And most Americans see right through that, and they want him held accountable. But, you know, we all know that, yes, if, if he is impeached and it goes to the Senate, if even Mitch McConnell lets a trial happen, he has the power for that not to be the case. Um, no, Trump would get acquitted, but it won't matter. He will have that stain on him forever. And if he even survives it, he goes into 2020 wounded badly with that. And so, again, the Democrats are just going to have to be patient and persistent and keep pressing forward, which it looks like, even with some of Nancy Pelosi's more worrisome comments, which I can understand why she's made them. Um, this is this is happening. Yeah. And uh, what happened this week between um, uh, Pelosi and Trump and what's continuing to go on? I mean, there's been, you know, more of, you know, did you hear what she said about me? Well, you know, I mean, um, it's become personal. Um, I think, you know, Trump is taking it personally. Um, and I think, you know, that's the important part, I think, of what Pelosi's uh, gambit here is, is you make it seem like you're being an independent arbiter and you have much more credibility um, and but what happened this week with the name calling um, and really, you know, it started with Trump. Um, you know, I don't think we could say that there was any difference. Um, I think it was Monday night. Uh, it comes out. Well, infrastructure is going to have to wait until we do the uh, USMCA. Um, and also then, known as NAFTA. Right. Basically. Or, yeah, his renegotiation, <laughs> which is not much different than the current, although he says it's much better and it's going to bring a lot more money to the American people, blah, blah, blah. Same old, same old Trump. Um, but what has ended up, you know, I think, you know, coming out of, of, of these last few days, it does seem like Trump is a lot more unstable. And I think that that's playing off. Um, you know, what, what's been going on this week. And it, it, you know, obviously it depends what network you're watching, um, where you're getting your information from. If you're getting it from Fox news, um, they're still trying to, um, you know, you know, be in the president's corner, especially certain aspects of it. Um, but the most disturbing, I think, um, um, incident of the week was really Trump calling out, um, aides to, to talk about how calm he was. Um, at the meeting. And then it comes out later that 
some of the aides he was asking wasn't even weren't even actually in the room. Um, so it, it seemed authoritarian. It seemed scary. It seemed as 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 bad as you know these these you know public loyalty oaths. Um, and it you know it it just the more that I think that that you just get into it, you see how unfit he is for duty. And you know I think you know once you make that case. Um, all the other policy alignments that some of these Republicans and some of the you know voters that have in his base, and when I say Republicans, I mean elected Republicans, um, have um, to really stay in his corner. It seems like he's losing. He will lose them and the voters as as more and more that you can expose that he's just incapable of doing the job properly. And it, that's well, really that's seems like the money. you know the, where the end game though is is you know once once that's accepted why stay with him just for a policy matter and 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 that is seems like where you know the underlying road seems to be heading at least to me right i you know this whole latest soap opera with him and and pelosi and their war of words which she still comes off as looking like the stable adult and he looks like the you know childish petty vindictive creep that he is um I think it shows that Trump is terrified of powerful women. Look, we, he, so we saw that, you know, with the election with Hillary Clinton, which you know, she kicked his fat ass, but good in the popular vote by three million votes. And certainly, you know, she won every debate, even with his stomping on, around on the stage like Godzilla. Uh, <laughs> but and, and there's another factor here, too. You know, and I'll go back to 2006, 2007, after the Democrats won back Congress. We heard this talk of earlier about possible impeachment hearings against George W. Bush. Now, Pelosi, I think, rightfully made it clear that that was not going to happen. Uh, you know, I, I think impeachment of Bush would have been difficult for a lot of reasons, even though his approval ratings were lower than Trump's are. Um, but there was an interesting thing. Those two could work together on other issues. And what you saw was a mutual respect for one another, if, if not political accord. And I think Pelosi did indeed respect Bush. Uh, you know, she has no respect for this guy who's in there now. And you can't blame her because he doesn't merit any. He's not, a, you know, he's a he's a joke, albeit a very malevolent one. Um, and that's why I think we're also seeing Pelosi, despite that kind of mousy at times, it seems like demeanor of hers. You can see she's really losing her patience with him. Um, you saw it when they the infamous uh, encounter in the in the Oval Office with her, Chuck Schumer, and Trump during before the budget shutdown, in which they basically ate his lunch, uh, and she made Trump look like a complete nutter fool, and also won the PR battle with him uh, dramatically. And you know, I, I do I think Pelosi is always the most brilliant uh, in terms of strategy. No, but there's no question. I think she understands the dynamics of the whole mess around Trump. Very well. I, I think, you know, it, you see on social media people losing their patience with her because she has not, you know, quickly had Trump held accountable in terms of impeachment hearings. But she's been smart enough to understand that these things do take time if they're going to be successful. Right. Um, could that still backfire on her and the Democrats in the future? Possibly. Mm-hmm. But, you know, again, for the, I'll go back to what I said. We're seeing growing support for impeachment. We're seeing a public that's becoming more frustrated with Trump every week. Uh, you know, I'd say, you know, she's playing her cards correctly for now here. Uh, you know, and, and never mind that apparently Trump posted some video today of her, a doctor's video her of her words, appearing right, drunk. Right, right. Uh, this is just, you know, this, like, as you said, this is not a well man. This is someone who is in bad need of psychiatric intervention, for starters. This is not a president, okay? Trump is a disgrace. I will say it again from now until forever. He's a cancer on this nation. Mm. And, you know, one of the things I noticed this week, which is is, is maybe, you know, a little, uh, uh, you know, separated from this idea, but I don't know if anyone else has noticed, but um, within the last few months, Trump has, has really adopted the talking about himself in the third person. Um, you know, they're against Trump. They don't like Trump. Um, you know, um, and you know, it's like the old Bob Dole thing. Um, but it, it, it shows something about your attitude. It seems like it's even gotten worse where he's, he's, he, you know, when you talk about yourself in the third person, that's really a sign, I think of instability. Um, so, uh, but that's my own personal take on that one. Um, 
If we're ready, let's move on to the DOJ because there's been a lot going on um, and, and it's kind of gotten lost in this week. But um, when McGahn was, was uh, uh, you know, the biggest thing that I think the DOJ has done, um, you know, basically creating things that don't seem to exist, um, the immunity for Washington, for a White House counsel, um, which seemed to come out of nowhere, especially for one who's no longer there. Um, and for a topic that has been made public, which he's already testified against, um, seems like a stretch, but it's, again, maybe indicative of the bar DOJ. Uh, he's kind of lost the limelight this week, too, in this whole other thing that's been going on, but obviously won't be forgotten by congressional investigators. Um, but the GOJ seems like it's gone rogue as much as Trump always wanted Sessions to do it. Uh, and the DOJ maybe isn't looking, as you said, um, out for the people, but for Trump himself. Um, your reactions to really what's going on uh, seems like a DOJ that's uh, gone rogue or is out of control or only looking for Trump, only looking out for him. Well, there's nothing else that makes sense, John. Uh, you know, what, this is extraordinarily destructive, what Barr wants to do in terms of, of you know, reviewing surveillance issues surrounding the campaign and to declassify sensitive intelligent, you know, intelligence materials as the attorney general sees fit. If, if you've seen the reaction from the intelligence community across the board, they're saying this is an extraordinarily stupid and dangerous thing to do because it, it not only exposes those who have been on the front lines working diligently to find out what really happened, it alienates our allies who already the ones in Western Europe and, and the ones, you know, the, the, the allegiances that Trump has done his best to kind of piss on, it, it just further alienates them and makes them far less, uh, you know, willing to cooperate with us in the future, which, uh, given the next talk we're going to talk about, isn't really the smartest thing for the Trump crowd to be doing. But, I, it, you know, again, I do not trust that William Barr is going to do the right thing here, given that he's been happy to prostitute himself for uh, his boss on pretty much everything else. Uh, you know, I, I can't imagine Gina Haspel, who's a Trump appointee to the CIA, Christopher Ray at the FBI, who I, you get the sense, you know, really wants as little with Trump to do as possible. But even Haspel, you've got to wonder in the back of her mind if she doesn't have serious reservations about what they're doing. Um, I've never heard of administration doing something like this. And, and even going back to the Bush administration with you know, a CIA agent being exposed and, and cooking the books the way that it did on Iraq, which was horrible. But I don't recall them having full-scale, you know, wanting to declare full-scale warfare against these intelligence agencies, both here and abroad. So this is just, you know, it's extraordinarily dangerous, but it's not surprising. This is Trump, again, trying to distract from the fact that most Americans believe that he probably knew of, you know, and was okay with Russians interfering in this campaign. And this, you know, in the long run, another thing too, I'll say, I think it's going to backfire on him and on his administration. So there, you know, this is a, but it's, it's not surprising. It's just disgusting. Yeah. Where, where, where do you, th what do you think is the, you know, really the, the, most glaring line that 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 bar is crossing here is it is it that he's uh you know taking the doj in um uh, in in ways where they're you know tailoring um their decisions based on politics exclusively i mean because bar is doing the real big dance here he's trying to say you know hey this is all a political thing so we need to protect the president but the president can make political judgment calls from the by, you know, by what the DOJ is doing. And that's really seems to be where he's dancing on both sides of the line um, because he's doing things which are politically motivated and then blaming a political um, uh, atmosphere for why Trump shouldn't cooperate with Congress. And it seems like they both can't, ex you know, coexist. Uh, so, you know, how do you see it? And, and, and what do you think is the most egregious uh, si situation going on with the DOJ right now? I think in general, it's just it's just Barr's overall efforts to protect Trump from any any accountability in terms of alleged Russian collusion um, from his efforts on the Mueller report, not wanting McGahn to testify, uh, you know, trying to interfere in just all kinds of things where he has no business. This is not something the attorney general, who's supposed to re represent the entire country, should be doing. 
but you know he go he wanted his Roy Cohn and he got him. Uh, and you know Barr, unfortunately, Barr had an undeserved reputation as some kind of uh, you know elder statesman in in terms of being an attorney general in the past with his role in the George H W Bush administration. You know this this guy is about as slimy a power player as you can get. Uh, and so again, I'll just but what he's doing to protect Trump in terms of you know shield him in terms of the entire Russiagate scandal is is the worst in my opinion. But this now in terms of screwing with intelligence agencies, the second worst. I don't know, you know, know whether this you know rolls right into what we're talking about, but it does seem like what's going on with. Uh, Julian Assange has to do with maybe this political calculation uh, from the DOJ. Um, it seems like they're no longer going to charge him with the, um, in order for it to be out of First Amendment grounds, um, the initial charges, uh, uh, which were discussed and had been talked about since the Obama administration, was that it was really what he had done to help um, Bradley Manning at the time, now Chelsea Manning, um access um, the system in order to steal the documents. Um, now what they're going to charge him with is actually the publishing of the documents, which are two separate things and why, you know, Assange would say he's a media organization, a news organization to get First Amendment protections. Um, now they're just saying, well, it doesn't matter. We're going to go after you um, because, you know, you know, previously, if you talk about um, it's the access. No newspaper will run or actually pay somebody to go and steal things. But if something is stolen and they're giving it, then they will print it. And that's the line that news organizations would stand on. If you give me something that's been you know, taken that breaks a law, we'll run it. But they're not going to go do it. And that's the line that, that, that WikiLeaks crossed where they would be actively helping people steal things. And that's what the the convictions and or what the indictments were previously. This is now changed, and they're saying it could have the chilling, um, um, you know, reflection on First Amendment rights and news media organizations to print, or that it just means that the UK will not extradite so that any information which Assange has on any kind of coordination between the Trump campaign, Russians, um, and WikiLeaks doesn't be made public. But it's another one that I think is going under the radar with all the other things that are going on. I don't think it'll be forgotten by those who really it matters, which is congressional investigators, um, the Department of Justice, uh, you know, folks who will be there long after Barr is gone. Um, but it does seem like it's it, it, it is almost another political move by the DOJ to go after media organizations or maybe just to keep Assange in Europe and that he never has to come to the U.S. and answer any questions whatsoever. How are you seeing what's going on with Assange? Well, I, I will say that I, uh, Julian Assange is many things. He's not a journalist. And I personally find that that an offensive you know, way to describe him. This guy didn't study the craft. He's never worked at a newspaper. And frankly, I don't think he really gives a damn in general about freedom of speech or, you know, especially freedom of the press. Um, I always had very mixed emotions about what he was doing from the get-go. That's not to say that it wasn't important that some, you know, some corruption of some governments wasn't exposed. But in terms of some of the information that was released that, you know, put the lives, again, once again, of intelligent agents and military people on the line, I, I had problems with that. Um, I also think, frankly, that... I find it greatly ironic. I don't know if you do, John. This is a guy who supported Donald Trump. I suspect he wanted Trump in the in the White House because he felt he would smash the administrative state. And yet, I'd love to tell him Trump will throw you under the bus the first chance he gets. So it's just rather amusing to me, this little comeuppance that's happening at the moment. That being said, it is in general, you know, the Trump administration, not surprisingly, has crossed the line that previous administrations would not do. And that was going after the First Amendment in defense of government secrets. Uh, you know, when Assange came to prominence during the Obama administration, and certainly, you know, we can argue about that the, the Obama administration was not always a friend of the press either, because it wasn't. But that being said, they never decided to go after Assange like this, because they knew that's going too far. Um, you know, the argument, I, I would call him a publisher. I would not call him a journalist. Uh 
And I, you know, I do think that the UK is going to be reluctant. I agree with you to to let him be brought over here, uh, especially given if he faced any, you know, I, I don't know if it's considered a capital crime, but given that Trump would be desperate to divert attention from his problems and, you know, make Assange even look like to some degree a fall guy here, I, I wouldn't put it past him. Um, so I, I just, it's, you know, I think Assange needs to be held accountable, but I'm not, this is not the way to do it. I, you know, he's got, he's got other, you know, criminal charges dating to Sweden. The, the Swedish government has said they're going to reopen the rape charges against him. Um, He's got, you know, he's got a lot of, uh, you know, serious legal repercussions to face. But I, you know, again, what the Trump administration is doing, it, it isn't the answer. And I, I'm just highly suspicious of why they're now going after him in the first place. Yeah, you know, I, it, 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 it kind of defies uh, credulity to kind of wonder what. Um why they would change and, and, and why not stick with the original charge, which made sense. Um, you know, he actually did, um, it, he was involved in the conspiracy with, you know, Bradley Manning at the time. Um, and, 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 you know, that alone is you were stealing secrets and that, you know, seems to me like the appropriate charge, uh, and why you wouldn't stay with that, um, has to be, you know, tied to something else, which we're not being made privy to. Um, and I would like to know what that is, um, you know, truly. Um, it's, it's, it's one of those, it's one of those uh, again, uh, lost uh, to the sands of controversy uh, that we had this week. Um, um, and, you know, we never know whether Trump, you know, pulls all this because he wanted on you know, the fact that he lost the uh, second case and so that Deutsche Bank was going to have to give his financial statements um, towards this Assange thing, towards the McGann uh, thing. Um, it seems like there was really a lot that he wanted to hide and who knows whether that was, you know, the case behind all of it, but it, it, it doesn't matter. You can only, um, distract for so long as the investigations keep rolling along. And unlike what he did in New York city when he was in, you know, real estate there, um, the, you know, the memory of, of congressional investigators do not go away. Um, and this is all just going to keep rolling along. Um, so it does seem like there was some, you know, there's, there's more to it than that. Um, it, you know, this, this, this whole Assange thing is, 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 you know, vitally important, I think, to this whole story. Um, you know, just, you know, kind of talking about what happened in 2016, what we can do to prevent it in the future. Um, the ability of WikiLeaks to really kind of try to destroy things, because even though the whole Manning thing doesn't have to do with 2016, we know what what you know what WikiLeaks ended up doing in 2016. The same, you know, they were they got put on the map by the Manning uh, situation, um, and then with that in their back pockets, they were able to do what they did in 2016. Um, and so, you know, who knows what's going to end up happening here, but it does seem like the Assange case is another thing to keep watching, and it all ties right back to Russia and <clears throat> Trump. Well, right. One other quick thing I want to mention, because Assange, as we know, in WikiLeaks, got emails stolen from the Democratic Party in 2016. Um, he was acting then as a foreign agent. But uh, uh, an interesting observation from a man named Scott Horton, who's a international human rights lawyer at Columbia Law School. He said, you know, if the Trump administration really decides to go after Assange, that's going to open up a Pandora's box for them, because they're trying to, you know, Trump keeps screaming no collusion. Well, that looks like collusion right there. So, yeah, I, you know, I, I don't even dare imagine how this is going to turn out. You know, Assange, I get, I have no love for him. He's somebody who, you know, he seems extraordinarily arrogant and reckless and bought into his hype a long time ago. Um, and he's not a journalist. But, you know, at the same time, I think journalists who, who should be nervous about this, we all should be for a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, let's let, let's head across the the world um, to Iran and the Middle East. Um, there was discussion that it might, uh, you know, there were escalating tensions. Um, also, that's kind of taken a backseat. I think, you know, there's been, hey, we don't want to do this. I think Iran is kind of trying to make that clear. But we also don't really know what's going on. John Bolton, um, Mike Pompeo seem like they're, um, you know, going at it and, and, and that and that debate's going on. Um you know, we have more 
um, you know, uh, wartime brinksmanship going on by the Trump administration. It's got to be scary. We saw what is going on in, you know, North Korea has gone nowhere. Um, and it might even, you know, once once you try to get good and it fails, are, you know, you might be back at a worse position than you were to begin with. Um, and the same thing with Iran. I mean, as we talked about, the deal was a deal mainly for money that they were owed anyway. Um, and, and so, you know, complaining about that deal is a good talking point for people who don't know really what the deal is. Um, and then really trying to, you know, suss this out with these threats that go on on both sides. Um, I don't really see a huge benefit to us declaring war for, for, for much against Iran. Um, you know, any any sort of, of wrong move here can cost thousands of lives on the United States side and, and maybe even and, and, and probably hundreds of thousands on the Iranian side, um, just like we saw in Iraq. Um, but, you know, it, it, it seems like it's more manufactured to me than anything else, um, whether it's by Bolton, whether it's a wag the dog moment. Um, how are you seeing this whole Iran thing playing out, and 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 how scared are you that that it's Trump in the White House who's have is going to have to deal with this and make those hard decisions? Well, it's terrifying when you consider that it's Trump who, again, shouldn't be in there to begin with and doesn't have the first clue or understanding of, about you know the Iranian government or the power of its military or much of anything else. Um, and, you know, it's interesting to me that for all his bellicose talk and tweeting, supposedly, if you've read some of these stories, well, he doesn't want a war with Iran. Well, if that's the case, what the hell is John Bolton even doing working in his administration? Because Bolton has been itching for this for years. He tried to push the Bush administration into going to war with Iran. And, and I, you know, who's to say that the Bush administration might not have tried it, except, you know, Iraq had become such a disaster that it, it knew, you know, better than that. Uh, you know, we're we're now sending, you know, they're considering, I should say, it hasn't been determined yet, to deploy about 5,000 military personnel into the Middle East to deal with this. Uh, you know, another big factor here is that the Trump administration, not surprising given the coziness that it has with Mohammed bin Salman and the other, you know, officials in the Saudi government, are taking the Saudis' word that Iran, uh, you know, was responsible for an attack against, uh, you know, Two of its ships recently, even though if you looked at earlier reports, there, there was no way to really prove that. And given that we know the Saudis are happy to lie about, say, butchering journalists, i.e., you know, Jamal Khashoggi, right. their word means very little. Uh, this almost seems like what the Saudis want is for us to start fighting a war against Iran, which has long been an enemy. Um, look, I, we've talked about that, you know, Iran quite a few times, you know, with our podcasts. I, I'm no fan of that regime, but it, it just, unfortunately, because you have such discredited actors on our side making these claims, you can't believe a word they say, number one. Uh, number two, just if, if you listen to military analysts who, again, have no love for the Iranian government, but have said a war with Iran, contrary to what Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas claims, would be most likely a disaster, for this country, not only because of the power of the Iranian military and the ability for it to fire missiles into Israel, into Iraq, into other areas, but also for the fact you turn a, a, a country where, which is overwhelmingly pro-American outside of the government against us, not a good thing to do. And I, I frankly think if Trump thinks this is going to give him a boost the way Iraq did to Bush initially, Again, he is he's clinging to old narratives that do not work anymore. He's not George W. Bush. Whether you liked Bush or not in the beginning, he did have credibility until he squandered that. Trump has none. Yeah. So and, most and, of the public, and I, I suspect even a good chunk of his base, they would not be real thrilled of the with the idea of going to war with Iran. Yeah, either. I agree with you. I agree um, with you that the United States uh, people. Uh, want to go, uh, you know, they they want to go back to the Middle East as today as much as 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 the the America of 1976 wants to go back to <clears throat> Southeast Asia. I just don't think they want to go back there. It just it's, it it seems like another war there would be, you know, and that's the difference. As you said, it's not it's not that H W Bush time. It's not the George W Bush time. 
it's you know 2019 and and the i don't i agree with you i don't think the american populace has has a a a, 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 a taste for middle eastern war right now right and another thing speaking of you know we already talked about how this you know bizarre investigation into an intelligence agencies regarding alleged collusion with russia would further i think weaken our alliances with countries like the UK and France and Germany and other major Western European democracies, you know, they're certainly not going to be on board the way many of them were uh, when we went to war with Iraq, or should I say invaded Iraq. Uh, I, I think, frankly, the Trump administration would get absolutely no cooperation from any of our major allies. I think they, you know, Trump has already alienated most of them so badly, they're certainly not going to go along with any invasion into Iran. Um, I, I, you know, again, I, I feel that all of this really developed not only because Bolton is a, a hardliner who's, you know, extraordinarily dangerous on his own, but I also think because this is the Saudis who are big customers of Trump properties, among other things, which is why he just enabled, you know, Trump wants to have, uh, he's getting around congressional regulations about selling them arms. I think this is just the Trump administration trying to do the Saudi government's bidding, mainly to feather the nests of Trump's businesses. I hate to put it in those terms, but, you know, I I think eventually we're going to find out that's exactly what's going on here. Uh And that that's just beyond the pale on so many levels. Well, hopefully we can avoid it. what uh, same here what what the uk can avoid is that they still have a brexit issue um and uh theresa may uh broke down in tears was i think it was yesterday um obviously that country's been thrown into turmoil and as we've also discussed in this podcast many times you know what kind of it seems like the breast the the brexit vote was a primer a test run for the Russian intelligence community to see how they could throw an election. They did it in the summer for the UK, and then they ended up doing it in the fall here in 2016. Same thing, moved on from place to place. Um, but they still have to deal with what's going on. Um, what what seems to be interesting, too, is, um, you know, and I don't want to throw this into our Brexit discussion, um, if I can, but, you know, the EU is doing their elections right now. Um, the UK went and voted yesterday, I believe. And they'll be voting through the weekend. Um, and there's already been talk that, that the you know Russian intelligence services have been um, active in trying to uh, throw the EU election to uh, you know, right-wing candidates, those who are anti-immigrant and anti-EU. Um, and so who knows what, what even that, that, that climate's going to be like moving forward. Um, it seems like there's there's something that has to be done. It seems we look at all of these different elections, these the strife that has been caused in the you know Western democracies of the world. Um, uh, n- now we're looking at the the EU with Russian interference. Um, we know that what happened in the French the the French elections last year, um, and 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 then you know what what's what's happened in the U.S. elections. Um, there's obviously interference. The common denominator in all these is Russian intelligence, um, and that the Russians are trying to mess with the Western, uh, you know, what, with Western democracy. Um, it comes back again. Uh, you know, Theresa May might have been a very successful prime minister if not for Brexit. Um, so you know, it 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 is a very uh, different time um, as we remember. Uh, you can get again these new. You know, publishers slash what they want to call themselves journalists like Assange and, and many others that are out there. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, dealing without that journalism training, without that belief in some sort of bottom line and credibility and ethics um, has really caused um, our, our current society to not know how to deal with this. And again, we're back to that same discussion of technology, its role, how it can be manipulated and social uh, networking sites what their impacts are and how they can deal with it. Um, it was also goes back to what we did minorly talked about earlier with the Pelosi slowed down video to make her seem like she's drunk. Um, you know, that was sat on social media and, and on Facebook for a long time. Um, and even though it was being um, portrayed as being news, it obviously wasn't. Um, and it's the same sort of thing over and over again. And I know I've kind of taken this from the Brexit discussion, but 
um, you know, I don't know if you want to take my, my, my run on it, but, um, obviously was a really emotional situation going on in the UK yesterday. Well, right. I mean, she made actually announced today that she's going to leave June 7th. Um, you know, and you, you know, again, as you mentioned, she became emotional. She looked like she was crying. Like, here's somebody who came in after, you know, David Cameron, who was forced out because of this whole miscalculation with the Brexit vote. And in fairness to May, she'd gone on record before that saying, I'm not in favor of leaving the EU. It's not the most perfect organization, but, you know, we've just got way too many ties with them to screw that up now. Uh, but I think she just basically felt like she had to push forward with this to the point of causing this kind of dysfunction and alienating the EU, which already wasn't happy with the United Kingdom. Um, and instead of maybe coming out and saying perhaps two years ago or a year, you know, I think it's time for another referendum. It seems like there was interference in this first one. We need to make sure this is a clean election. And if the British people vote for this again, then so be it. But she just simply seemed at times stubborn to the point of, dare I say it, delusional, mm -hmm. uh, alienating her own party and, of course, certainly not winning over anybody in labor, which has its own set of problems in terms of the, you know, a future election for whoever will be running this country. I certainly don't, you know, I think she, she miscalculated how she was going to interact with Donald Trump who had, you know, knows nothing about the United Kingdom governance or anything else for that matter and didn't care one way or the other. Um, he actually hurt her quite a bit in that election in 2017. She was seen holding hands with him. And then overnight, her opinion, her approval ratings dropped. Uh, Trump is despised in, 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 right. in Britain in right. general. Um, and I just, you know, she hasn't really, she hasn't delivered on the referendum to begin with. You know, they were supposed to leave in March. That didn't happen. They keep asking for time. Uh, you know, the EU being you know, an extraordinarily bureaucratic organization, I certainly understand criticisms of it. Having just made, having had observations of it purely from my travels over there, uh, I'm certainly not an expert. So don't anybody get that wrong. But <laughs> again, again, she completely, uh, to, to quote the Brits in their slang, bollocks this up. Yep. Um, I'm frankly surprised she hung on as long as she did. But, you know, we can't really take any solace that somebody more reasonable is going to come aboard because it's looking like Boris Johnson, who is a complete buffoon, is going to take over and become prime minister, if even for a short time of that country, which is, you know, he's basically the British Donald Trump. Um, so this is, you know, you, you're, you're seeing a country that frankly has its own leadership crisis in a way ours does. Yeah. And when you consider that both the United Kingdom and this, the United States have long been the leaders in stable, democratic, albeit imperfect, uh, leadership for the world. Then again, this just has really ominous consequences. Mm -hmm. uh, we can only hope that maybe conservatives are smart enough to not let Johnson take the helm here and find somebody who's a reasonable adult to take over. Um, and that's, that's where that stands. It's, you know, just extraordinary, you know, it's just very disheartening yeah. news coming out of that country. Yeah, and you know, and it even, does... I mean, go ahead, I'm sorry. Please, Karen. I don't want to stop your role. <laughs> Come on. No, I just, and even if, again, I, I think May could have handled this, she could have had a referendum, they could have exited the EU in a clean manner, <laughs> and I, I just, you know, you, you look at her and it's, it's just a, somebody you see who came in with as good a position as anybody could under that, those circumstances, and squandered it badly. Um, I, I, you know, we'll just have to see who takes her place. Yeah. And I, if it's Boris Johnson, don't look for any real solutions here. Yeah, and as you know, as usual, I, you know, we see fairly alike on this, and it does seem to me, and I agree with you, May had come out ahead of time saying she doesn't believe in it, but she was one of those. Um, folks who who said, well, that's what the populace says. We have to show them that the electoral system works. We can't just go back and say, well, we don't like the results, so we're going to ask you to vote again. But I think the real miscalculation with something like that, like a national referendum, to change really um, most of your economic impacts, because that's really what it ends up being for them, 
on a flawed mm-hmm. election, I think was 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 a, a an idea that was you know back in the eighties and nineties before new technology, and we knew that that was there. And you know, you're right. You have to say it's at some time that we live in a different world, and we have to kind of deal with the way that we're dealing with things. I think have to be differently done. You have to look at them, and I again, I say in the eighties and nineties. She's probably right. You have to find follow what the electorate is doing. But this was something that was so close. There was so much interference that there should have been a, um, a, a, a look back at saying, well, now we need to do this again now that people really know what's going on. Or even passing something saying, if you want to do something as monumental as Brexit, you have to have three votes and two out of three have to say what you have to do in order to do something as monumental, not just a single time. And again, we've talked about this on the podcast. Nobody knew the details when they voted on it. It was kind of like a, it, was, it might as well have been a Twitter poll. Um, you know, that would have been more effective um, as far as the details went, because no one knew what they were going to be. It all had to be negotiated. It had never been done before. And it was it was almost like folly to begin with. And um, it was, you know, you know, doomed to failure just because you can't figure these things out ahead of time, um, especially when you have someone who's just relying on, well, that's what the voter said and we have to stick with it. And really, that's the, right. you know. Yeah, you know, think, you can say those same sort of things. I mean, in Arizona, you know, where I, where where I live, they had uh, three votes um, to to legalize medical marijuana. Well, the, the Arizona legislature just overrode them every time until they finally passed a ballot initiative that said that they couldn't do that anymore. Um, there wasn't a great a great falling out that people didn't trust it anymore. They just realized that that wasn't done. And if there really was that support for Brexit. And if it was real and it was honest, the second vote would have bore it out again, and then then you would have known. Um, so you know, I think that that's the lesson to learn here is that when you're having you know difficulties, um, there's no, there, it's not a bad thing to have another vote, and even if you have to have three, because even the cost of those those elections were, are less than the um, the the impact that it's going to take in order to step back. So. You know, on a on a on a on a national budget like that, you you do those things, and I just think that's what was necessary. That's what was missing here. That's what May should have done. And I agree with you that it was a miscalculation on her part. And when I play that back to what's going on in the U.S., um, I don't really think that there's anything to do with the presidential um, um, interference that we had um, in 2016, except for to go through more elections or or to maybe have our our uh, house impeach the president. Um, but we do, and, and I do think that even though, you know, we talk about Pelosi taking the high road, I do think she's a more adjusting um, to this current time where that's why they're doing what they're doing slowly. It's taking more time and, and, and they're just kind of following the, 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 the correct narrative. Um, but, you know, back to the UK again, may should have made that calculation earlier to have another vote. I, to me, that that's the only way of making anything, you know, right here. Right. I mean, and she she leaves, you know, being known as the prime minister who failed to deliver Brexit. So, uh, you know, a, a rather you know pathetic ending to what had been a very interesting career. Yeah. Well, and not just that, she didn't fail to deliver it. She failed to resolve the issue. I think. You know, I. Oh, absolutely. As we know, it's you know it was so close that it was split exactly down the electorate. Um, and so not leaving would have been just as good, but now it's just nowhere. It's, it's, as, it's as far as it was the day after the election for the most part, um, because they haven't really solved anything. Um, and, and, uh, you know, we're talking two plus years, um, you know, almost three, um, and they really haven't been able to do anything. So, you know, I, th- I think it's right. just the failure of, of any sort of movement whatsoever. Um, you know, because not, again, not, them not actually executing Brexit might be the best thing for uh, Western Europe and, 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 and for the United States. That's true. I mean, again, we don't even know in the long run whether this is actually going to happen. Um, but, you know, the damage is done in terms of the political division in the United Kingdom, the, the you know, damage to its credibility worldwide. Uh, you know, just the last few years, this they all been pretty terrible and it's it's unfortunate it really is 
Well, maybe we have more blue skies ahead. We can only hope. Um, I certainly hope so. But, Karen, I always have at least an hour of blue skies every time I do this podcast with you. So I can thank you for that. Nice of you to say. Uh, every, all of our listeners out there, thanks for joining us again. Uh, we'll be back maybe next week, most likely, um, if not the week after. We want to thank you all for listening and for visiting us every every uh, week or two for our Political Profundity podcast. And Karen, as always, thanks for discussing these issues with me. Well, thank you, and I really appreciate everybody out there listening. I hope. All of you have a pleasant holiday weekend, and don't forget what Memorial Day is really about. Nice sentiments, Karen. Thank you all, and we'll talk at you next time. Thank you, everyone.